We are over in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, and verse 7. Having finished the church of Sardis, spent two weeks on that one. We should get through Philadelphia here in just tonight. The uh, city of Philadelphia in the area of... Um, in fact, if you want to pull up that map I had given you on the seven churches, if you can find that. The one, uh, I think it says map. There we go. People were asking where these churches are, so here you go. You can also see the Isle of Patmos where uh, John had received the vision and the letters. And you can see our seven churches up there, starting up there at the top with Pergamum, Pergamum Thyatira, Sardis, which we were on last time, Smyrna, Philadelphia, Ephesus, and down there at the bottom is Laodicea. So you can see they're all pretty close to each other, not that far away. Different things each one of them was going through in the area of Asia Minor, as it's known. All right. Well, of course, we all know what the word Philadelphia means, seeing as we live near the city of Philadelphia here in the States. The city of Philadelphia, it was on a, on a low, broad, and a very easily defended hill. Not quite the uh, elevation that Sardis had or some of the other cities but it was still considered to be an easily defended hill. It was over a fertile plain. It was about 73 miles east of Smyrna. You can see there on the map. About 28 miles southwest of Sardis and 47 miles northwest of Laodicea. It was established by King Attalus. King Attalus Philadelphus is actually what he went by. Uh, this particular king was known for the especially great fondness he had for his brother and named the city after, uh, named the city Philadelphia because of this love that he had for his brother. That's where it came to be the name. He was succeeded by, by his uh, brother and successor, Attalus II, from around 159 to 138 B.C. And, of course, that was the guy who was, the city was named after. The final Attalus was Attalus III, who had no heir to will it to or give it to, so he willed it actually to his allies in Rome. And that was the, the area, the Philadelphia, the area of this empire was given to. The city of Philadelphia had come upon an extremely violent her, her, um, earthquake in 17 A.D., it was a very violent one. It actually had shaken a number of the cities around it, even as far as Sardis. This particular earthquake had shaken, but it really rattled Philadelphia. Philadelphia, when they built it, they built it right on or very near a fault. Probably didn't know it at the time, but they had built this right on the, on the fault. And after this very tremendous earthquake that shattered the, shit, the city, destroyed much of it, the people came right back in to rebuild. It's kind of like you see over there in Oklahoma. People coming right back in and getting right started right next day, starting to rebuild again. They did something like that over here in Philadelphia, and they immediately started to rebuild the city. But there were a lot of aftershocks, in fact, very strong aftershocks. And for almost 20 years after this earthquake, there were aftershocks, almost on a daily basis. The people became afraid to be in the city because just walking down the road, you could be hit by a falling mortar, falling uh, rocks from one of the buildings. And so, well, for fear of their lives, most of the people moved out of the city and lived in these mud huts around the surrounding area. 
this uh, particular city was known for its uh, for the, the fertile valley that was there, and they grew a lot of grapes and made wine. And so they were very well known for, for such things as, as this. The letter starts out this way, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. So he identifies, again, like he does in many of the letters, he identifies himself to the, the people in a way that is unique for their situation. He says, these things says he who is holy. The word there for holy is the Greek word hagios, which is used for vessels that were separated for common use. Not only was it used for vessels, it was also a word that was used to distinguish the holy mountain of God. This is not a common mountain. This is God's mountain. It was also a word that is used to define saints. Saints are called hagios, separated from the common use. What he's saying here is, these things says, he who is separated. One of the things that the folks in Philadelphia may have been coming under the attack of, or under the... under the temptation of, is to not see that God was unique. God was separate. Because a lot of folks, like we face today, how many of y'all know, even today, well, you serve a God and his name happens to be Jesus. Other people, the New Age folks, they serve a God, his name happens to be this. They pray over people. They uh, have words. They, they do this. They, we got all these different um, religions that are out there and they have similar functions. Some of them, you know, they pray to a God. They do these different things. But our God is unique. Now, of course, every religion is going to think that. But it's okay. We can wait until we get to the end. <laughs> we'll show for sure that, it, that our God is unique. Here's a real, real thing about ours is more people over the course of years have been willing to die for their knowledge of the uniqueness of Jesus than all the other religions. Because how many, how many people have been, they, they try to, Get rid of Christianity century after century. Fed them to the lions, burned them at the stake, imprisoned them, beat them, crucified them, all the different things they could do to try and get them to stop. And they just don't stop. They just keep on going. Because we know once we came into a relationship with with our God, it is different from any other God. It's not just something that we worship. It's something that we have a relationship with. So these folks may have been beginning to think that your God is nothing different. We have a God. He goes by this. You have a God. He goes by this. What difference does it make what we call our God as long as we all worship a God? And sometimes the church is facing that very same same temptation now. And we need to stand up for Jesus. Standing up for Jesus does not mean we are intolerant of people who are not Christians. It means we understand that his message needs to get out. But, of course, that's how we be branded as intolerant of other people because we see our way as the only way. This is not the only time in history this has gone on. But just understand, the people who promote this are of the spirit of Antichrist, which is a very general spirit which will go around using people. We've went over that many times before, or not many times, but before. And we looked at this as a spirit that tries to get a hold of people who have political power, political influence, or influence over a large group of people for the purpose of persecuting those that are Christians and to keep people from following after God. He says, these things says he who is holy, he who is true. The word there for true is not our normal word for true or for truth. It is a 
Alathinos. It means real or genuine. It really means as opposed to being a fraud. The people of Philadelphia may have been thinking, is what we are doing a complete fraud? How many times have we faced that same temptation? Have you ever been believing God for something to change in your life? Year after year after year, and coming after and doing the things you, the Word of God tells you to do, but you didn't see the change, didn't see the thing going on? <laughs> and sometimes the temptation would come in to say, is this just a fraud? And Jesus is writing his letter to them because he knows the temptations that they're under. And he says, he who is holy, he who is true or real or genuine. These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David. He who has the key of David. Now, of course, David was the, uh, the king of Israel, Israel who's going to have an everlasting kingdom. And Jesus Christ is the one who's going to carry that on. So we know that he has that particular key. But we're going to see this word key of David, this phrase key of David used again in Isaiah 22, verse 20. Then it shall be in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. I will clothe him with your robe and strengthen him with your belt. I will commit your responsibility into his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. The key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder. So he shall open and no one shall shut. And he shall shut and no one shall open. <laughs> yeah, it does sound a little bit funny, doesn't it? This key of David is able to open things and close things that nothing else can. And so go back over here to this verse. He who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. He has the key that will open. And when he opens it, no one can shut it. Amen. When he shuts it, no one can open it. Amen. He has the final authority. And so he refers back to the scripture, actually uses the phrase that they would have been familiar with in the, in the scriptures. And he, he says this when in, in relationship to the key of David. The word there, has, is the Greek word echo, which means to hold, possess, or own. It is his. He owns it. He possesses it. It is in his possession. It is in his possession. It's something that he has. The holder of the key is the one who possesses the authority and the access. And so when he takes the key, it is the key that opens the door. He has got the key. I remember I was in a church one time and we had, they had all the, the locks in the church were all on an old set of locks. So you know how if it's an old set of locks, this door has one key. This door has another key. This door has another key. And so whoever was the holder of the keys, and you know, I was, I was uh, an assistant pastor in the church, so I had to have all the keys the janitor had to have all the keys. The pastor had to have all the keys. And a few other people had to have all the keys. So when you had all the keys, you really jingled. <laughs> and you didn't necessarily want to have all that going on. And so um, we, did, we came up with that idea. It says, let's, um, let's bring somebody in and let's master key the whole system. Now, that's not cheap. But we decided that it was worth the, worthwhile doing it. And so what we did was we put everything on a single master Every door in the church could be opened by one key. And then we had the whole church in the sections. So if we wanted to give a certain person 
access to this section. We could just give them access to this section of the church and not to the rest of it. We could give them access to an individual door and not to anything else. They could have access to maybe some things that are inside the church but not access to the building itself. And so they could only come in when the building was open and do the things that they had to do. So it was great because these keys gave us freedom to do all sorts of stuff. And then we folks who had to carry all the keys no longer had to carry all the keys. We just had to carry the master key and we could get into any build, any room in the whole place. Oh, it was so much nicer when you have that one key and you don't have to go jingle, jingle, jingle all the way around. That's a, that's a whole lot nicer. Now, of course, the more modern systems are, there are no keys at all. You just got a little uh, card, you swipe the card. If they don't want you to have that key anymore, they just delete your card. That's it. They don't have to change any locks. That's an even better system altogether. All but um, that's what we had at the time, and so that's what we did. But he's got the key that opens any door. He's got the key that locks any door. He has the key. It's called here the key of David. He who has the key of David he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. So that's how he introduces himself to this particular church. And then he goes on. And to the, whoops, already did that one. I copied it in there twice. So I put in your outline, what was used to open the door? The key. Now what else would we do? He who has the key of the David, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. Now, I put this in your outline for you to think on. We can pray to God to open doors for us. We're not to be led by open and closed doors. That won't necessarily be the best thing to do, but there are times that we come into a situation and we need a door opened. And we're going to see in this he opens, he has opened a door for them. He says, I know your work. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. Hmm. We can ask God to open up doors for us. In 1 Corinthians 16, 8, But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. One thing we have to note about any open door is that whenever there is an open door, whenever there is a, as Paul put it here, great and effective door, whenever that is there, and when we get put into a place where there is a great and effective open door, there will be adversaries at the door. Because the devil does not want this. Now, the church of Philadelphia, the city of Philadelphia, in particular, was, an, was quite an open door. The major road from east to west and the major road from north and south came through Philadelphia. So this is before interstates. But if you had an interstate system, the main one coming through went through east and west, went through Philadelphia. And north and south came through Philadelphia. It was the royal road. It was the road that the, the royalty used. It was the road that the kings would have used. It was the road that the mail carriers used. These roads were there. So this church is in a city where all these roads come. So people will come in from all over the world and stop in Philadelphia 
while they get ready for the next leg of their trip. And while they're in Philadelphia, the church has an opportunity. And Jesus is saying, I have opened a great door for you. But we know from the rest of the word that when a door is open, there are also adversaries. There are people who want to make sure that that doesn't happen. But he says, if I open the door, no man can shut it. We do not need to fear men. 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 12. Furthermore, when I, come, when I came to Troas, Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door was opened to me by the Lord. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord. The Lord opened a door for him. He came in, and the Lord opened the door. Whatever the opportunity that was there for him to preach, the Lord opened the door for him. So if, if the Lord opened the door here for Paul, I guess we can ask him to open some up for us. Because God wants the gospel to go out. Colossians 4 and 3 and 3 through 4. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ. So before the God opened the door, now he's saying we need to pray also that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. So here Paul is saying, please pray right now that God would open a door. Now we're not trying to convince God to open the door. That's not why we pray. God needs men to declare it. He needs men to say it. We just, Father God, we see an opportunity here. This is an opportunity for your gospel. This is an opportunity that you want. Right now, open up, that, open up a door for us to get into with the Word of God. Open up a door for us to bring the gospel in, and God will open it. Once we pray, we need to be looking for that open door. What kind of open doors are you looking for to be going on where you are, where you live, where you work, so forth? Now, it says that no man can shut it. The word can is the Greek word you are very familiar with, dunamai. It is speaking about ability. No man has the ability to shut the door. Amen. Don't Amen. let them deceive you into thinking that they have the ability. Mm -hmm. If God has opened a door, man does not have the ability to close it. Man may threaten to close it. Man may put pressure on you to not go through it because they say we will close it. But we need to understand if God opened the door... No man can close it. That's all we need to, to think about. Got that, that open door. Remember that uh, the guy who wrote the book, God Smuggler? He had an open door. It was sort of an open door. God opened up a door for him to bring Bibles into Russia. And he was smuggling. The, I love the story. By the, did anybody ever read it, God Smuggler? Oh, wow. Really? Uh, Miss Gladys read it. Okay. Got somebody who read it. God smuggler. What this guy would do was he was smuggling Bibles into the Soviet Union when it was the Soviet Union, when it was the USSR. And he would drive them in. He would hide them into his suitcase. He would sew them into this, behind the seat. He would, he would find all kinds of ways to hide these things. And sometimes the guards would stop him and get him out of the car and inspect the whole car and then tell him, go ahead, get back in, you're okay, and he would go on. And so after a while, he was doing all this, and he says, you know what, there's really no sense in me hiding the Bibles, 
because they have already inspected the car, gone through the luggage, and not found them. And so he started to just put them in boxes and sat the boxes next to him and in the back seat and in the trunk, boxes of Bibles. <laughs> and the people, sometimes they would stop him. Sometimes they would say, get out of the car. And they would get out of the car. And he has boxes of Bibles on the seat, not hidden. And they would go through and they would inspect the car. All right, you can go. <laughs> he just got so bold. He said, there's no real reason to hide them. They're not finding them. <laughs> so, you remember that part? Of the st I thought that was so interesting of the guy. Well, God opened a door and man cannot shut it. <laughs> man cannot shut it. Don't fear what men can do. Don't be afraid of men. I know your works. Again, we've seen this in all the letters of the churches. It's no different here. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength. Now, this is a church where there is no exhortation. There is no... Uh, he really just uh, commends them for the things that they've done. Gives, tells them what a good job that they've been doing. Gives them some words of encouragement. Tells them some things that they can focus on and to do. But he doesn't tell them that they have any problems. It's not that they don't have any problems. He just doesn't focus on any problem that they have. So there was nothing there that was, that was, that was going to do that or have them focus on that. But he says, you have a little strength. The word there for little is the Greek word mikros, which we get our word microscope. We get our word micro from it, which we get that word and it means what? Extremely small. So when he says here that you have a little strength, what's he saying? <laughs> you have little. I mean micro. We're talking small. When you have a microbe, you have an extremely small organism. One which you need a microscope in order to see. You have a little strength. Well, here it is. For you have a little strength have kept my word and have not denied my name. We saw that phrase, not denied my name, back in the letter to the church at Pergamum, that people were facing great persecution there, and they were being held up. And if you do not deny this, we will kill you. And it might be that their little strength is symbolic of their smaller numbers, that the church has gotten smaller, simply because... Members have been killed, or some, maybe some members, because of the opposition that they were receiving, decided to uh, flee. Whatever it is, he talks about their strength being small. You have a little strength. Maybe it may be that they were focusing on their smaller numbers. Maybe it was something else that was going on there. But you have not denied my name. That is a phrase that he has used for people who have held up under persecution. But you have a little strength. Have kept my word. The word here for kept is to guard, protect, hold fast, and watch. I think we've covered this word before. Tereo. It means to guard, to protect, to hold fast, or to watch. You have kept my word. When you saw it was written, when you saw that I spoke it, when you saw it was my word, you held on to it, you kept it. You did not let it go. Now, he's not saying you kept my word with a little strength. It's two different things. You have a little strength. You have kept my word, 
and have not denied my name. If you're not going to deny his name, it means there's some opposition. That's not just talking about a little strength to do that. You all know that takes quite a bit. It takes a lot of commitment to have done that. You have not denied my name. Deny here means to say no or to reject something. To say no or to reject something. You have not said no to his name. You have not rejected the name of Jesus. Again, it's likely referring to Roman persecution. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan. Now, he is not saying something against Jewish people here. What he's saying is something against a particular group of Jews that were in this particular city. Because of the great opportunity that was there for the church, Satan had to raise up adversaries to come against the church because there was a great door open for them. One of the ones he used to stir them up was the synagogue, the Jews. And so the Jews in this city came mightily against the Christians. We saw that in the book of Acts. Paul, the Jews came mightily against him in the places where he was at. Well, they did the same thing here in this city, so much so that the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church, calls them the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not. Well, either they are or they aren't, right? (laughs) No, but the Word of God tells us that a Jew is one inwardly, not outwardly. Jesus even told them, said, just, well, you think just because you are born of your father Abraham that you are Jews? Just because you have been circumcised? I'm looking for those that have the circumcision of the heart. He was looking for something, to, something different from this. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Now, here's the thing. When you use the term here, lie, you are saying... Basically, I know this to not be true, but I'm going to represent it as being such. That's a lie. A lie is not misspeaking. A lie is not when you give out wrong information that you thought was true. That's being mistaken. That's being incorrect. But a lie is when you know a thing to not be true and you say it anyway. That's part of what the whole thing was going on with Benghazi is because things were said that were known to not be true. If that was the case, then it is a lie. If people say, well, we had this information and they say that's not a lie. That's what they they gave the best thing that they, they knew at the time. But a lie is when you know something to not be true and represent it as such. And we see that very much going on, and and that is a modern-day thing to look at, and certainly many others that have gone on in our our days and weeks and decades and so forth of people who want to present something, but they know the truth would be not to uh, make them look very favorable, so they bring about something else. That is a lie. When he uses this term for these Jews, they are saying something that they know is not true. 
So look at it this way. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Well, they didn't believe that Jesus was the Christ. So is that necessarily a lie? I don't believe that Jesus was the Christ. Well, you're mistaken on that, but does it make it a lie? I don't think that would make it a lie if they are under a mistaken belief. So it has to be something different because if the, if the head of the church says that you lied, you lied. <laughs> That's all there is to it. We don't have to debate whether they did lie or not lie. They did lie. We just got to figure out what is the lie that they would say. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not. Well, the reason they have the term synagogue of Satan is because they are coming against the Christians. So in order to do that, they must be doing something that comes against the nature of being a Jew, right? If you are going to act in a way that is unbecoming of your Jewish heritage and what the Word has taught you to be as a Jew, say you are a Jew and act that way towards the Christians, there's where the lie would be. Well, the Word of God says, Thou shalt not bear false witness. When we, when we saw the Jews come against Paul, did they bear false witness? When the Jews came against Jesus, did they bear false witness? Even if they didn't believe that Jesus was, that's not the, that's not the problem here. The problem is, what's the Jewish Bible tell you to, to do? Forget the Christian New Testament. What's the Jewish Bible tell you to do? Thou shalt not bear false witness. So in order to get to the end result they wanted, they saw it okay to bear false witness. Well, I know this is not right, but I'm going to say it anyway. But something would come up on the inside. But you know that the Word of God says you shouldn't do that. I don't care. I'm going to do this because I want to get... See, that's where they're lying. That's where they're coming into a place of lying. They're coming against people who are standing in the right and they're coming against them in a wrong way. We see this constantly today. Anyone who stands for the truth of God's word, anyone who stands for the truth uh, on just about any level is, is attacked. False witness, doesn't matter. IRS has been used against people for, for that. They become against Christian organizations the IRS deliberately tried to swing and, and was successful in swinging even the electoral results because they came against groups, they came against people who would put their money on one side and had them in fear. Have you followed what was going on in all these things with the IRS and the stuff that they did? Holy cow. This is... <laughs> the organization is terrible, but the organization should never be this... The, 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 this uh, it shouldn't be allowed to be going on with what it is. It's just going to be slapped on the, on the hand and, and, and uh, taken on. But this is the organization in which health care is going to be put under. If they have, if they have uh, had bias in elections, you think they'll have bias in health care? I saw a cartoon that came up. Well, let's say you voted this way the last election, so uh, your case is denied. <laughs> 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 That's about what they did in this whole situation here. See, we, we know the thing is not right. We know that it's not what we should do, but we do it anyway. This is what he's against these folks for. He is not against Jews overall. Certainly not. God wants the Jewish people to come back to God 
more than, more than they are his people. And he's coming back to them in the tribulation time. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan. I mean, that is strong language. You think you are the synagogue of God. You are not. You are the synagogue of Satan. Satan is using you who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. These are Jews doing the will of the devil, of which Christians have done as well. <laughs> we can't exclude all the Christians from this. It's not just, he hasn't just used Jewish people. He has used Christian people. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. They're talking about Christian folks. People who were in the church of Jesus Christ, taken captive to do the will of Satan. 1 Timothy 1.18, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience with some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. They were Christians, of whom Hymenus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they might learn not to blaspheme. 2 Timothy 2, verse 17, And their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Third John 9 and 10. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words and not content with that. He himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Malicious words are not unique to this day and age. They are going on way back in then. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet. Oh, how tough that would be. They've been out there persecuting you. They've been out spreading lies about you. They've been out coming against and, and all. And, and now he says, I'm going to make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. He's going to set them up and say, you see these folks over here? These are the ones that are on my side. You guys are not. That's a, that's a pretty good uh, part right there, isn't it? God coming through and showing up. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. I missed a... Ten. Yeah, I was thinking I missed that verse. Where is my verse 10? <laughs> because you have kept my command to persevere, I, will, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Now, this verse has been interpreted in a number of different ways, and we'll show you where some of those ways probably are not true. Because you have kept my command to persevere. The word there is the word we use a lot of times or see a lot of times for patience. Hupomene. Endurance, consistency, enduring patience. Here's a place where you see this in, in action Hebrews 12. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Let us, the word there for patience is the same word, persevere. Hupomene. Let us run with patience. When you run with patience, you run with 
endurance. You keep going, even though it's hard. Here's a real fun word for you. I don't know if you've ever seen this word before or not, but, and let us run with patience the race. The word there for race, you're going to love this, is the word we get the word agony from. <laughs> we get our word agony from the word in the Greek that means race. <laughs> yep. That's a, I thought you might enjoy that one. So he's saying, in the agony of a race, you endure it. You have not just patience, not just, as we sometimes think, sitting by and gritting your teeth and burying. No, you have endurance. Keep that in mind. Because you have kept my command to persevere. All this stuff is coming down. The synagogue of Satan is coming against you. People are spreading lies about you. People are coming against you in this way. Some of your members have been killed, but you have held on and have not denied my name. You have, but because you have kept my command to persevere. God's command was, I need you to be in this and to endure. That's not something we all like. We would rather God say, I see that you're in this and I'm here to take you out, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's what we want. We want that promise. Father God, look what I am in and come here to take me out. And he says, no, my command is I see where you are now, endure it, endure it. And we say, no, 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 I know I heard that wrong. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial. The word there, you have kept my command, is the same word keep we'd looked at before. And it's also used again, I will keep you from the hour of trial. I will keep you, I will guard you, I will keep you away from the hour of trial. Now, some people have interpreted this verse as to mean that they will not be involved in the tribulation. Have you ever heard that one? Sometimes people have brought this verse out and they said, God will keep us from the hour of trial and refer it to the tribulation period. There's a problem with this. I will also keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world. If you look at that in the English, it looks very much like, well, that could be the tribulation. Because there is an hour of trial coming upon the whole world except for there's a problem with this and you don't see this unless you see it in the Greek. Some of your notes might have this. The word there for world is not the normal word for world. It is a word that means known world or inhabited world. It is a world, word that was used very much of the Roman Empire, that world that we know where man resides. That is not a word that you would use for the world today because all of the world is inhabited. But this is talking about the hour of trial that will come upon the inhabited world, which would be very much speaking about their day. So there is an hour of trial that will come upon them, a time of trial. And he says, I will keep you, I will guard you from it because you have kept, you have persevered in this trial, I will keep you from this one that is to come. I will keep you from the other hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. 
It's testing those who live on the earth. Those, so it's coming only to the inhabited area. Once again, this word is used very often to describe the Roman Empire. And what he is talking about here is probably something very unique to Rome, that Rome is coming up with a new way to pressure their citizens. And if you go through the whole thing, there were 10 different periods of pressure put on the church by 10 different emperors. Some even think that the um, warning that was given about the 10 days earlier in this letter is referring to 10 days or 10 periods, one period for each of the emperors. The only thing that would happen with that was that some of those emperors had already come by the time that letter had been written. But that is still a possibility that's, that's out there. So there is, uh, this is probably has nothing to do with the tribulation, the upcoming tribulation upon the world. But it's something that is coming upon them. I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world or the inhabited world. Wrote that uh, word in there so you can go home and check that out and have some fun with it. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have that no one may take your crown. Behold, I am coming quickly. Now, we always... Take it with a grain of salt whenever God says I'm doing something quickly. Yeah, his quick may be, you know, a couple of decades, a couple of centuries, a thousand years, not a big deal. So, <laughs> behold, I am coming quickly. Well, okay. So, uh, it's quickly for him. goes a little slower for us. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. The word there for take, remember we looked over this word, last, I think it was last week. Lambano, which actually means to receive. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. You could actually write it in there like this. Hold fast what you have that no one may receive the crown that was meant for you. When you use that word Lambano, you could do that. Were there people, I put this up on Facebook. Anybody see it? Put a little note for you to be thinking about this. Meditating on this when you got here. But if you didn't see it, then you didn't meditate on this or, or think about it at all. <laughs> Hold fast to what you have and let no one take your crown. Can you think of times in the Word of God where someone lost their crown? So since you didn't say, uh, look at it earlier, I'm not going to give you time right now to think about it. <laughs> got to check out that Facebook post before church on Wednesday nights, I'll tell you. Esau lost his crown to who? His brother Jacob. Reuben, he lost his crown to first his, uh, his, uh, the second born, the third born, and finally the crown fell to who? And why did it fall to Judah? Because the others didn't hold on to what God said to do and became disqualified. Esau was not rejected because God didn't like the way he looked. He was rejected because his values were going to be of such that he would not ascribe the great value to what needed to be, and he would subsequently lose what was valuable, even though we saw that in the end he turned his life around and he got things straightened out. He lost what was valuable before. Saul lost his crown to who? David. Because he didn't endure. 
because Samuel said, wait seven days. And he didn't have the endurance to wait the seven days. He wore out and he gave in and he didn't uh, do it. And so the command was, we've gone to find somebody with a heart after God because you apparently aren't that person. You could have been. You were in line. This was here for you if you just would have held on. If you just would have held on. Judas lost his crown to who? Matthias. Matthias took on the crown that was supposed to be for Judas. But Judas let it go because he got angry at the way the money was being handled. He got angry because the woman came in and poured all that oil on Jesus. He's greedy. He had all kinds of problems. But he let the devil in. He let the devil in. And he lost what was supposed to be his. Jesus taught the 12 disciples all the time. There are what? 12 thrones. And you will sit upon these 12 thrones. And you will judge Israel. And he, he taught them that. And, and, you know, the two sons, they went home and told mom about it. Mom, guess what he taught us today? <laughs> he said there's going to be 12 thrones, and we're all going to sit on one of them. So she thought about this and said, well, look, when you have those thrones, can you have one of them be on your <laughs> But that was a crown that was waiting for Judas, and it went to Matthias instead. Here's a big one. The Jews lost their crown temporarily. It's gone to the Gentiles. Went to the Gentiles. They, they, they lost. They, they, they didn't hang on. They didn't endure. And it went on to another. There are things that have been given to us. There are crowns that have your name on it. They are intended to go to you. God has laid out the course of your life. He has put you in certain aspects and certain ministries. And he says, if you endure, if you keep on going, if you hold on to the commands, if you don't give in to all the pressure that is out and around you, all the pressure to, to, to give in to these things that are causing you to compromise. If you hold on and you don't give in, this is the crown that awaits. For, this is the place that awaits for you. He says, behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have. Hold fast to what you have. That no one may receive your crown. I think it's a better way to render it than take. Because no one's coming to take your crown. Because God doesn't let people steal in his kingdom. But if you don't do what needs to be done, then with a crown that was meant for you can be passed on to someone else. We saw some examples in Scripture. So now you can put some more thought to it because there are a couple of names I did leave off. You can go back on through there and think of those. If you do, go back up there on Facebook, put them in there. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go out no more. <laughs> You'll be a pillar. No more leaving the house of God. You are there. <laughs> Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Oh, to be in the house of God. Never having to leave it again. Never having to go out into a sinful world. Never having to deal with the crazies. Nothing like that going on anymore. Oh, I'll tell you what. That is a, 
That is a good thing. Have you ever had a job where you had to deal with crazy people on a daily basis? <laughs> Retail. Retail is a great place for this. If you want to deal with people on a regular basis, get into retail sales, particularly places like Walmart. That's a real good place to go and to deal with some crazy people who come on through who ask stuff that is just, just mind-blowing that they would want you to do. You know, I worked, uh, I did not work at Walmart ever. But I did work at Ken's Pizza and some other places like that and the retail sales, and you have to deal with the public. And so you get to that. And then I went over to Kelsner's Horseradish, and when I worked for Kelsner's Horseradish, I no longer dealt with the public. I dealt with the business owners. Oh, my, what a difference in mentality. Holy smokes. Because the people who have those crazy mentalities don't make it in business, and you don't have to deal with them. If they do go into business, they don't last long. And so they're gone. You don't have to deal with those. But can you imagine you are going to be made into a pillar in the house of God? No longer will you ever have to go out. No longer will you ever have to leave the presence of God. That's what he's saying. But this is not to everybody. This is he who overcomes. So the people who don't overcome, they're going to be outside. You won't have to deal with those people. If you overcome, apparently, he's saying, no, I'm going to make you into a pillar in the temple and you won't have to go out anymore. <laughs> and he should go out no more is what he says. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. How many of you know what that new name is? I'm glad you said that. Because no one knows what it is. No one knows what it is. If you go over to Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes a war. His eyes were like a flame of fire in his head, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no one knew except himself. John doesn't even know it, and he wrote this book. He's there seeing it. So no one knows it except him. So no one knows it today. If anyone wants to come to you and say, I know what that name is, write him off. Does not know what he's talking about. Run. He's one of the crazies. That's right. He's one of the crazies. Get away from him. Now the promise is to him who overcomes. It is not to him who tries or wants to. The promise is to him who overcomes. A lot of times in this day and age, people have all these government programs and all this government money, and they say, you know, we're supposed to be doing these things with it, and, well, how did it go? We don't see the results for all that sort of stuff, and, well, you know, we were trying. And they, they want to get points for, well, we gave it a shot. Well, we were, we were trying to. You know, <laughs> how many of y'all know they were blaming the uh, lack of government funds on that bridge that collapsed up there in Washington State? Of course, they don't uh, remind you that $1 trillion or, so, or thereabouts or close to $1 trillion was uh, allocated for roads and bridges, which was not used for roads and bridges, but was given to states to shore up public workers, unions, make sure they kept their jobs. So, you know, we haven't spent enough money. We should have spent more money on it. Yeah, we, well, you all allocated, what, 750 It was close to a trillion dollars. 750 $800 billion. 
and it didn't build apparently that many. I know they would build a few because they got a couple of signs up there. They kind of focused in on them. But it didn't do, they didn't do what they were supposed to. But they want you to say, well, you know, we, were, we meant good. We, we meant good. And God says, I don't care what you meant. Did you do it? Did you get it done? Did you overcome? He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of my city, of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. That's a lot of writing. So apparently he's not thinking he has to do this a whole lot because he's just doing it to those who overcome. But he says, I'm going to do it. It doesn't sound like he's delegating this. He says, I'm going to, where's, where's that one overcome? Okay, hold on a minute. I got to write this on you. And I got to write this on you. And I got to write this on you. And you're going to be sitting there for a whole lot of writing. But I don't think anyone's going to mind. I'll stand here all day long. Come on, keep writing. Keep writing. Keep writing. <laughs> just keep on writing. This is all right. But you've got to overcome. In, the order, in order for you to overcome, you've got to have endurance. Without endurance, you don't overcome. You've got to have the endurance. Verse 13, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And of course, he concludes this all the time. We need to have ears to hear. We need to have ears to hear correctly. We need to have ears that hear right, not ears that say, well, you know, I, I thought I heard okay. God says, no, you didn't hear the right thing. God's not up there saying, well, you gave it a shot. God says, did you get it done? He looks at results. That's what our God does. He looks at results. He wants to see, did you get the thing done? If you have an assignment, did you stay in there? Did you keep going with that assignment? Did you give up early? Did you quit? Did you not do what I said to do in that assignment? Did you get tired of the assignment and move on to something else because I didn't tell you to? That's not what he's, he, he says. He who overcomes. Yeah, but you don't know how hard it was. You don't know how discouraged I got. He says, he who overcomes. If you don't overcome, you're not in the list. This is what he's writing to the church of Philadelphia and the churches who would come afterwards. Because look at what he says here in verse 13 again. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Church is, which means the message of the seven churches of Revelation are more than just to the seven churches of Revelation. This message for the church of Philadelphia is a message to the churches. The message of Smyrna, Sardis, Thyatira, Pergamum are the message to the churches. And we are to, to learn from the message of the churches. Hold on to what belongs to you. God has a reward for the call that he put on your life. God has a crown. God has a reward that he wants you to have. And he doesn't want anyone else to receive it instead of you. But he needs you to go. And don't ever get a big head like Elijah said, and I'm the only one. Because God will say, look, you want to step aside? I got someone else who wants to receive your reward right behind you. Do you want it? Then endure. And that's what he did with Elijah. He said, get back out there and endure it and stop complaining. But what's Elijah do? I've been very zealous for the Lord. But they have killed your prophets, persecuted, chastised, all the different things. 
But I've been faithful. Uh-huh. Is that endurance? No, that's getting to be on the crybaby stage of, of things. We need not do that. Don't sit there and, and be, be crybabying before God. Be uh, enduring. And God says, don't let anyone else receive what I've intended to come to you. Father God, we thank you for the help that you give us. We thank you that you have put a call on our life. You have put a direction for us to go. We have a mission to accomplish. We accomplish that mission. Oh, there is a crown waiting for us. There is a reward. There is something on the other side. And you want to make sure that no one else receives what's intended for us. But it's up to us. Hold on, you said. Hold on. Endure. Don't give up. Keep on running the race. No matter how much agony it seems to be, keep on running the race. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us in this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.